great. Rich, we're so happy you're here. It's great to be back. Yeah. It's great to be back. Nice. So what we want to do today is an interview style message because we want to get kind of the overview of what God did uh, for him in the sabbatical. And in the weeks to come, he'll be preaching a number of messages that all relate to it. But uh, for today, there's, there's definitely a message coming out of just his life of coming back. So uh, let me just frame what's, where we are because uh, what he just did. We talk a lot about Sabbath here at New Life that as one of our core spiritual practices to slow down to be with Jesus, that we're always talking about encouraging you to, and ourselves that we would take a 24-hour period each week to have a Sabbath, to stop, rest, delight, contemplate God, that we get a rhythm in our weeks uh, of work and Sabbath. And yet, and also the Bible has a sabbatical principle that's built into it where uh, ancient Israel, they would actually have uh, sabbatical years that they would stop working um, and it's what was called a sabbatical where they work six years and every seventh year to take a sabbatical to the Lord our God. They let the land rest, the, the soil, because it was an agricultural society, and God would be replenishing the soil while they were resting so that the following year when they did come back to work, uh, there, was a, there was a richness now in the soil. They didn't rake the soil, okay? They, they allowed God to replenish it. So that same principle has applied over the centuries to people like in Rich's position at New Life Fellowship, where we take pastors and leaders uh, here at New Life and give them a sabbatical every seven or eight years. Now, Rich has been a, a pastor at New Life for 11 years. He was an associate pastor, teaching pastor for the first uh, five, and then he became the lead pastor six years ago. He's, got, he's entering his seventh year this, this month, I think, or next month. So he's been here you know, 11 years. So he, he was up for a sabbatical. And uh, so, uh, and, and just a little side note too, for our church, you really can't understand, in some ways, the richness of new life, the stability of new life, the vibrancy of new life, over a long period of time like we've had, outside of, of the leadership setting apart pastors to have sabbaticals like this. Because so much happens, as you'll see in just a minute, in his life, and thus is going to filter into all of our lives as a community. So, Rich, we're just so glad you're back. And uh, so why don't you give your introductory comments before we dive in? Yeah, it is... Uh, wonderful to be back. Not every pastor can say that when they go back to their church, that it's good to be back. I could attest to that. But to be back here in this environment is really wonderful. And the first order of things for me is, uh, first of all, to really celebrate and applaud uh, and uh, really offer thanks to our elder board, which really gave me this opportunity to go away for almost four months uh, in prayer with my family and all of that there. And so I thank God for the uh, amazing board we have. I thank God for our staff team and amazing leaders we have, for the preachers that were feeding you the word of God over the past few uh, months. And so can we just give it up for all these elders and pastors? And really a great, great gift. And I got to tell you, in my time away, I did not miss emails. I did not miss all the meetings. I did not miss uh, even preparing for sermons as much as I enjoy preaching. But I, I did miss this. I missed us singing together. I missed hugging you in the uh, lobby. I missed sharing meals and, and speaking with you and journeying with you. And so I, I am thrilled to uh, be back in this space today. And it really says a lot about 
you know, you rich as a leader, and I think the church as a whole, that uh, new life flourished in the last four months uh, as rich, in Rich's absence. In other words, we're not a personality cult. You know, Rich is a lead pastor. He's doing a great job. But there's so much strength and so many tremendous people in our community. And we really are a community under Jesus. And uh, it's just such a healthy thing for us and a healthy thing for you. And it's just all good all around. I was just so impressed watching the last four months to say, boy, the church is doing great, even in Rich's absence. We're so glad you're back. We really did miss you. And uh, love having you as our lead pastor. So with that, let's, let's dive in, Rich. Why don't you open up with why you chose this scripture to kind of summarize your sabbatical, and then we'll dive in from there. Over the past three and a half months, I've been in so many different scripture passages, and over the next few weeks, I'll be unpacking some of that. But I chose this passage in Mark 9, verses 2 through 9, to help um, uh, clarify my own journey over the past three and a half months, but not just my own sabbatical journey, but also to see this passage as really um, as a metaphor for our entire lives and what Jesus invites us, how Jesus invites us to follow him. And so in Mark 9, verse 2, hear the word of the Lord. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a mountain, a high mountain, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly... When they looked around, they, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, I chose this passage because in this passage, it articulates two different movements, two different levels on which the spiritual life is to be lived. The first level we see is in verse 2, where it says Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. And that's really the first movement, the movement up the mountain. And this is the invitation, not just for me and my sabbatical, this is the invitation for all of us who want to follow Jesus. We are invited to go up to the mountain. And it's a metaphor for being with God. It's a metaphor for prayer. It's a metaphor for solitude and silence and transformation. It's a metaphor for being the meeting place where we encounter the living God. And that's a space where I've been uh, trying to cultivate over the past three and a half years. But that's not the only place where we are called to live. There's another level, another movement where we're called to live. And we see that in verse 9 where it says, as they were coming down the mountain. Now, for some, that's a bit depressing, okay? Uh, And and so coming off sabbatical, there's a part of me saying, I enjoyed the mountain so much. But whatever whatever, goes up must come down. That's the spiritual principle. However, what goes down must come back up again. And so this is the cycle of our lives. What goes up must come down, and what comes down must go back up again. And so throughout the course of my three and a half months, I was living this rhythm going up 
and going down. Now I'm really living it where I'm coming back down from the mountain. But it invites us to see these are two aspects of life. Some of us, we, we, all we are, we're in the mountain and we're not coming down. For some of us, all we are is down below, but we're not going up. But we're invited to hold the two together. That's great. Thank you. Awesome. So, uh, Rich, why don't we, Rich and I had breakfast the other day and so trying to sort out how we're going to encapsulate everything that happened to him the last four months in our message here. So we have four words we're going to revolve our uh, time around, all right? So we're going to go one by one. Let's start with the first one, uh, distance. And I think actually this service, I want to make sure I press into that particular journey question for each of them because they're just so rich. So let's take one at a time. What, so, um, let's take the first one, distance, how that word speaks to what God did for you. Uh, on your sabbatical. When I think about the word distance, and my hope is that as I share these four words, that you're paying attention because maybe there's a word for you as well as these words come out. But I chose distance, and in particular, distance in an addicted world. Distance in an addicted world. I experienced multiple levels of distance over the past three and a half months. The first level was just physical distance. You didn't see me. I was uh, away from our congregation. That was one distance that I experienced. The second distance was a virtual distance where for almost four months, uh, I got off of social media altogether. Now you gotta understand, those of you who might not interact with me on social media, I love social media. I enjoy the platform, I enjoy connecting, I enjoy sharing what I'm learning, and yet I really sensed that God was calling me to have virtual distance from the world. And this was uh, challenging, very challenging, because what I realized is that social media often offers us a way of being in the world of trying to claim particular attributes that only belong to God. Let me explain it this way. There are three particular attributes that are often spoken of of God. Social media gives us the false impression that we can embody those attributes. The first attribute is omnipresence. The second is omniscience. The third is omnipotence. By omnipresence, social media makes us believe that we can be everywhere at the same time. And so we are seeing things happening all around the world, in China, in Germany, in Latin America, uh, across the street. And so it gives us this, uh, this illusion that we can live everywhere at the same time without being crushed by the implications of that scatteredness. It, social media gives us the myth that we can be omniscient, that we can know all things. And some of you, like me, I like to devour all kinds of articles and information, and I'm trying to devour everything to know everything that I can, and yet if I'm doing that my entire life, I'm living now under a pressure that only God can hold on to. And then there's omnipotence, where the platform is used to use words in a, mean, in a way to exercise power, to exercise authority. And yet if my entire life is geared towards trying to be everywhere, trying to know everything and trying to use my words as a means of power to influence, to persuade, to change lives, now I am operating in a messianic complex and I'm trying to be what only God can be, which is truly omnipresent, truly omniscient, truly omnipotent. And so that's the second area of distance that I had to really wrestle with, which was hard because it caused me to cultivate hiddenness and obscurity 
And uh, social media is all about, hey, look what I'm up to. Uh, and so I have to cultivate that, which we'll come back in a moment. But the third area of hiddenness or distance is distance from myself. And what I mean by that is um, the sabbatical encouraged me to cultivate distance from my own progress and performance. And what I mean by that is this. I don't know about you, but I can be so self-preoccupied with whether I am growing, whether I am making progress, whether I am making the world a better place, whether I am uh, becoming more holy, becoming more righteous. I can get so preoccupied with that that the end goal is now my progress and not relationship, relationship with God. And so uh, to that end, Jesus says in the Gospels that when you give to the poor, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, there should be such a level of holy unawareness that you're not even aware of the goodness that's flowing through you. And as I've been wrestling with that, uh, I came across a story told by 20th century writer Henry Nouwen, who was commenting on Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer of the 19th century. And Tolstoy writes about these three hermits, and I, it's such a wonderful story. And I, as I read it and meditated on it this summer, I thought, this is what I want for my life. I want to live like these hermits. And the story, short story simply goes, it's a fictitious story, but it's a story that says that there are three hermits that are living out at the far end of a Russian island. And no one sees them. And they have decided to give their life to God in prayer. And one day a bishop comes along and realizes no one has visited this island. So the bishop goes over to see these three hermits who have committed their lives to God, to see how they're doing, to see maybe how he can serve them. And so he sees these three hermits, and he realizes right away that although they have dedicated their lives to God, they don't know the Our Father prayer. And the bishop is going, how can you not know the prayer that Jesus gave you? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. How could you not know this? The bishop is just bothered by this, and so he spends all of his time teaching them the Our Father. When he taught them the Our Father to the point that they could memorize it, he felt good about himself. He said, I'll leave the island. I'll go to my next assignment. He gets on the ship, and the ship is off to sea. And as it's off to sea, he looks back and sees that there's something pursuing the ship. And he's wondering, is that a ship? What is that? He couldn't see it. And as that image got closer, he saw that it was the three hermits walking on water towards him. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a real story, okay? Some of you are like, what? Yeah, it's not a real story. But the story is, they, they're walking on water. They finally get to the boat. They, they get in the ship, and, and the bishop is overwhelmed. How are you doing this? And he goes, what are you doing here? And the three hermits say, Father, we forgot the prayer. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, what? He goes, well, what do you pray? And they said, well, we pray, Lord, there are three of us, and there are three of you. Have mercy on us. And the bishop, who was overwhelmed by their simplicity, by their holiness, they're able to walk on, they can't remember the Our Father, but they're able to walk on water. And the bishop says, go back to your island and go in peace. 
And as I read that story, I've been meditating on it, I thought, here are these three hermits, unaware of their holiness, unaware of their righteousness, unaware of the ways that God has transformed them. And as I read, I go, oh, that's what I want. I want a, a distance, not just a physical or virtual, I want a distance from my own righteousness that I could see God working in and through me in the world. Rich and I, Rich and I have a mutual friend in Brooklyn. He pastors a church there. And uh, often when he mentions Rich's name, he goes, oh, Rich, man, he's such a beast. You know, I'd be like, a beast? That's so nasty. No, no, that's a compliment. He's a beast, you know? And so, you know, Rich, Rich is a beast on social media, you know? He taught me about social media years ago. He's like, you got to get in there, Pete. You got to get in the game. So, Rich, uh, and actually, Amy and Sohail uh, were here this first, I don't know if you saw them second service. These attend New Life. They're now in New Jersey. And she's had a, a large job in education. And she's saying, Pete, do you know how massive this problem is of, of addiction to social media uh, among parents and children right now going on in the educational system? It's massive. And my daughter, actually, one of my daughters got a degree in, um, at New School in like, design and screen. And she goes, Dad, just billions of dollars um, invested to keep us addicted to screens. A lot of money involved in that. So we all, we know technology is good. It's got a lot of good uses to it, but it's very powerful. And so, Rich help us because we're all struggling with it here too. We're all struggling with our screens and managing our site. Most of us are. What did you learn? Like, how, how did you make it through? You've made some breakthrough here on your, for yourself. Now, we hope you don't go back to addiction, but we're really happy that you're free and uh, that God did something in you about distance. And I think my question to you is how'd you get there? What, give us a bit of the, the progress. Well, it was interesting. Uh, Right after our annual meeting, the next day I went to a, a silent retreat for four days out in a retreat center in Long Island. And uh, at that point, I had um, signed off of all social media, and it's typically like Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram. Uh, that's as much as I could do, all right? And so um, I can't do Snapchat or any of the other stuff. There, and, so. and so I went off and went to a which was a nice transition into silence, into prayer. And so uh, I so actually I was very surprised how easy the transition was initially, and I thought, ah, oh, this is this is pretty pretty nice. And then a few weeks went by, and I started wondering. I wonder if people are thinking about me. <laughs> I wonder if people are saying anything about me. I wonder what's happening out, out there. And 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 so I started feeling a tug, a pull. Now I told my wife Rosie. At the beginning of the sabbatical, I said, honey, um, I'm logging off. And if there is a point where I feel tempted to go back on, I'm going to let you know. And I'm going to need you to change my password. Because I know myself and my addictive ways. And I know that I could go away, and, but something's going to pull me back. And so there came a point about halfway into the sabbatical, a little before halfway, I said, babe, I'm really feeling the pull. And uh, I need you to change the password. Where are you going to put the password, by the way? Just in case. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and she was very happy to change the password. You know, and, oh, I'm changing it right now. And she, <laughs> and she changed the password. And uh, but I need because I know myself. I know my addictive uh, tendencies in that way, and I know my weaknesses as well. And I needed her to change it. And at the beginning, it was good. Then I felt the pull, and then she changed it, and I felt free again. Uh, and so, uh, but I know myself, and yeah. I got back on a couple of days ago, and immediately I started feeling the pull again of, uh, of the, the pull. I mean, it's a pull that you it find is. yourself in. 
but uh, the distance, um, I needed that level of a boundary. Yeah, yeah. That's deep. Well, we, we pray you stay free so we can get free ourselves. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, let's move to presence, which is the second word. Yeah. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in a little bit here. So, Rich, this was another big way God came to you. So maybe I want to ask you to approach it this way. How were you pre-sabbatical? Because in some ways, you've, as you know, we preach. We speak about things that haven't perhaps deeply entered us yet. So something obviously happened with you about presence. And what were you, say, prior? And then God obviously like, came to you about being present. So maybe shape it a bit that way, your, your comments. Yeah, um, before sabbatical, I found myself like... Uh, what sociologists call, we live in a constant state of partial attention, a constant state of partial attention, where we are constantly distracted and constantly other places, as opposed to being in the present moment with whomever is before you. And so if distance is about uh, distance in an addicted world, it's presence in a distracted world. And I found myself being very distracted. Uh, And hard, you know, and it's something I, I, I'm trying hard, and yet I still find myself very distracted. And so uh, the, the principle, the paradox is uh, you can only be present on some level when you embrace distance. Mm. And it's like, that doesn't make sense with our left brain rational thinking, but it's a good spiritual mm. formation principle. The degree to which I am distant is often the degree to which I can be truly present. Not a necessarily a physical distance, yeah. but a, a willingness to be distant to everything else except what's before. Uh, and so uh, I got to tell you, being off social media and not having the responsibilities I had gave me the space, the margin to be present. I got to tell you, and it was wonderful to be present, particularly with my wife and my kids. I can't tell you how many games of Uno I played with my daughter. I cannot tell you. Too many to count. How many games of Uno? How many draw fours can she throw at me? I, I mean, I was like, oh, no, the draw four. No, <laughs> all right, I'll pick it up. And in the past, if I was to play a game with her, or, I, you know, I'd have my phone, and between games, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm sending an email out, I'm doing, I'm getting distracted, and, and, and then I'm, I'm back here. As opposed to, you have my, my undivided attention. I'm with you, I see you, you see me, and there is this sacrament of the present moment where the grace of God comes to us while we are fully present to each other, pushing back this continuous state of partial attention. And so um, I, I've tried to cultivate this. And it is not easy because um, I have, like many of you, like FOMO a lot, fear of missing out. And I'm like, what's happening over there? What's, what are they doing over there? As opposed to just being rooted um, in this moment. Mm. And so presence has been um, something that I've tried to hold on to. And what it means practically for me is um, when I get to a red light, in my sabbatical, when I got to a red light on Queens Boulevard, I'm driving or wherever I got, when the light turned red, I just looked around. What? Exactly. What? Feel that? It's revolutionary to just, as opposed to get on my phone, do something. I, I just, I looked around. And, and I thought, this is different. You know, uh, this is really different. And I was trying to cultivate being present with my wife, being, being present with my children. 
And it is so hard because it's in the air we breathe not to be present. I went to the Grand Canyon um, in July, and we drove up to the Grand Canyon. We, we, we flew down to see my in-laws, and, uh, and then we drove up two, two, three hours to the Grand Canyon. And when we got there, if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, it's, it's magnificent. It's mind-blowing. It's like, this is unbelievable. And we got there with my wife, my, ten, my 10-year-old daughter, Karis, my 5-year-old son, Nathan. And we got to the Grand Canyon. We finally got up there, and I'm just like, whoa. And then Nathan, not even 15 seconds into us getting to the Grand Canyon, he goes, okay, Dad, what's next? What's next? I said, this is it, bro. This is it. There's nothing next. This is it. And I realized his five-year-old mind can't grasp the enormity and the immensity of the Grand Canyon. But I thought, uh, I often do the same thing in just life where there are so many wonders around me, the wonders of people, the wonders of food, the wonder of God's creation. And here I am. Uh, What's next? What's next? And it's easy for me to to miss the present moment. That's awesome. All right, let's go on because this flows naturally into your third uh, word, which is... Silence, And again, you, you've been doing silence a long time, but this was obviously different. Just like presence was different. And so what, you know, again, what happened along the way that something clicked? What were your rhythms like for silence? And then what kind of clicked for you about the depth of the silence thing uh, for you and for our relationship with God? Yeah. By silence, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about uh, making space for God. Before my sabbatical... Um, I, I would say I had I have good rhythms of prayer and silence, but I would go to a point where if I if something if if, if the schedule got too tight, I'd say you know what I'll skip the silence, I'll skip the prayer, I'll come back to it later. And then what happens? You don't come back to it. All right, just like oh, I was supposed to come back for God, Lord, forgive me. You know, I'll do it tomorrow. But at this at the sabbatical, and part of it is the space that I had. But more than that, it was a more of a, an urgency of, oh, Lord, make haste to help me, which is a good prayer in the monastery. That's what they prayed. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. And I realized I need to orient my life with God in deep prayer with regularity. And that was deepened in me. I went to a, a monastery. And um, there's, uh, there's an image of me at the monastery there with, with the robe. <laughs> And uh, let me tell you a quick story about the robe here. Uh, I've always wanted to wear a robe. Uh, <laughs> but did you earn and, that robe? I didn't earn the robe. Really, <laughs> but I was at the monastery, and there's all these rooms. There's about 10 people on retreat with me. And I'm walking by the rooms, and I see a closet. It's open. And I look in, and I see all these wonderful, colorful, liturgical robes. And I'm thinking, I've always wanted to wear a robe. And so, you know, I, I, I just look at it. I just touch it first. I'm just like, I'm looking around. And, and then I think to myself, tonight, when everyone goes to sleep, and at the monastery, they're up at 3.30 in the morning to pray. They go to bed around 8 o'clock. And so by 9 o'clock, they're all sleeping. And so I say, by 9.15, I'm going to step out of my room. I'm going to put that robe on and take selfies. And so... Um, <laughs> And so I walk out the room about 9.15, I look to the right, and then I look to the left, and then slowly, and I walk over to the closet, I'm thinking no one's awake here, and I grab it off the hanger, 
and I'm about to, you know, take it off there. And then I hear a door slam. I just throw the robe back and I run back to my room. And, and uh, you know, of all places, I, I should have known a monastery will forgive me if I just have a robe, you know. But, but the next day I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it on. And so half, halfway through the day, I looked around again. No one was there. I put it on, took selfies. It was wonderful. And so um, I, I, I can just see it. The Daily News or New York Post, you know, New York City pastor arrested for stealing monk robe. <laughs> I texted Rose and said, baby, I'm never coming back. She said, you better, I'm going to drive up right now. You better come back right now. And so... Um, But being in that space where these people who have devoted themselves to prayer and they're praying seven times a day, five times together, to be a part of that environment, it's hard to say, I don't know, there was no visions I saw, there was no like third heaven experience, but all I could say is that when you're in proximity, close proximity to something like that, something rubs off of you. And I hope that that's what our gatherings do as well. Mm. That when we gather together as the mm. people of God to sing, to pray, to hear scripture proclaimed, that something rubs off of mm. us that gives us a hunger to want God more. Mm. And so uh, I don't know, but something rubbed off of me to the point where I got back and uh, I started making more space. Now, very practically, I started getting up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, which for me is very difficult. I've never done it well. <laughs> But here's the adjustment I made. I started going to bed really early. So if you're going to bed at 9, 9.30, to get up at 5 is not a hard thing at all. But it required me now, the question was, what's important? And something, and I pray, this is my prayer, that, that God would nurture this and sustain this. Because I know what it's like to come to go to retreat, come back, you're all feeling good about Jesus. A week later, you're back to your old ways, right? You're living like <laughs> Satan again. You know, it's like, I recognize that. Yet... God did something in me where I'm trying to protect the silence and prayer because it's, it's a massage from my soul. Mm. That in prayer, prayer is not about getting God to do what we want. Prayer is about allowing God to love us as we are. And as we can create space for that silence and let God love you as you are, I think um, transformation is, is truly possible. And so silence has, has been a really important word for me. Wow, that's, that's great. But I'm just challenged. I realize it's true that when, you hang, when you're around it, like on that level of folks who give their whole lives to monastic silence, it just rubs off on you. It's just like, oh, oh. You're stark. The contrast is so stark. All right. Well, let's, go to, let's come down the mountain to the fourth word of um, forgiveness. And I know I was quite startled when I heard you say that. Uh, tell us how God came to you around uh, forgiveness. Now, it's interesting with this passage. Jesus is up in the mountain and then he, it says, he comes back down. Like, you got to come down. And when he comes down, when he sees the people, the first question he says is, what are you arguing with them about? Like, he, he walks into chaos, division, arguments. And I thought that's the nature of coming down often, that you're, you're getting into the real world now of pain. And um, I realized forgiveness was a theme for me because... For almost four months, I spent a lot of time with my wife and kids, a lot of uninterrupted time with my wife and kids. And if you spend a lot of time with, with anyone, but you know, people you love, you're going to get on each other's nerves. You're going to trigger each other. You're going to say hurtful things. You're going to do hurtful things. You're going to be short. You're going to be rude. 
And there were times where that was flowing. It, it was flowing in our home. I'd be a, a snark remark to Rosie, say something to Karis. Nathan and Karis are fighting. And, but but what, I, what we cultivated was really a, a spirit of forgiveness in the home. Well, we recognize we've got a lot of time with each other. <laughs> and we're sinning against each other like crazy here. We need some forgiveness. And so there were plenty of times where I had to sit down and say, Rosie, could you forgive me for that? I, I was really rude with you there. And I'm telling our kids, you know, you got to forgive each other. But when an environment is saturated with forgiveness and grace, it makes possible really an environment of loving union with you and God, with you and each other. Now, it wasn't just that our family was experiencing pain and frustration and then forgiveness, but I'm totally aware of what's happening in the world. And so I was on sabbatical, but I wasn't living under a rock, you know, and I'm aware of the tensions that exist in the world, the social tensions, the political tensions. And I thought to myself a couple of things. In light of the coming year, the coming election cycle, there's already a lot of polarization, divisiveness, pain, anger, vitriol. And I thought, if our lives are not marked by forgiveness, grace, mercy, justice, but forgiveness here, where we don't allow the toxicity of our society to contaminate our souls, to, you know, unforgiveness is, as the adage goes, it's, it's drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, that's, that's unforgiveness and we hold on to it. It's, it's toxic. And so I began to think, forgive, what does forgiveness look like for New Life Fellowship? For us to be formed by forgiveness. And I began to wonder, are our Sunday gatherings strong enough to form us in ways that push back the ways that we are shaped from Monday to Saturday. Because CNN is discipling you, Fox News is discipling you, social media is discipling you, and then we come here for an hour and we expect to be transformed. When you're listening more to Sean Hannity than Jesus or Rachel Maddow than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I'm preaching now, now I'm preaching. Now, okay. now I'm back, all right. Uh, but we're, we're so formed we're so formed, when we gather together, are we, is our formation here in this space deep enough? And so I thought to myself, what if, and I want to experiment with this, what if every Sunday when we gather together as the people of God, we spend some time in repentance for our own sin and receive the forgiveness of God in that way? And, this is where we stop, amen, thank you Pastor Rich, and begin to name and, and identify, who do I need to forgive? And who do I need to receive forgiveness from? When our lives now are marked by that, now we're talking about transformation. Because it's impossible to have loving union with God when we are holding on to resentment and bitterness with everyone else. And so uh, that's why forgiveness. I, I am aware, I realize that as a senior pastor, lead pastor of this congregation, I need to be a little ahead of where you guys are at. And I'm already thinking about the toxicity of our society that's already fully present, that's only intensifying. Could we be a different group of people? Could we be a different community marked by a different way of being in the world? Can you tell me who to vote for now? <laughs> I mean, so, so, yeah, so, wow. That's pretty deep, Rich. Yep. That's deep. So um, 
Wow. Okay. Boy, I'm tempted to go down a road with this one. But, uh, <laughs> Lord, help me. All right. So um, why, why don't you give us that summary uh, verse? I mean, I love yeah. the four points. There's so much here. And I mean, I'm looking forward to the messages that will come in the weeks to come to expound on it. But why, why don't you give us a, a summary, you know, word uh, that we can take away both, you know, I think that verse and then also maybe just expound on, uh, you know, most of these folks and, you know, we're not taking sabbaticals for three to four months. We're working jobs and, you know, so how, how, do, we, how do we do this mountaintop and come on down and, yeah. and how, how can we begin to work that out in our own lives? But I would say, first of all, the, the verse that comes to mind that kind of summarizes my sabbatical, but not just my sabbatical, how I want to follow Jesus. Mm. And it's the verse where they're up in the mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. And it's, he's transformed, really the Greek word is where you get the word metamorphosis from. It's transformed from the inside out. Mm. And you they see his glory. Mm. And then Peter gets all nervous. He's like, he's never seen this before. He starts talking out of turn as he's typically prone to do. And then almost a voice comes out almost like, Peter, shut up. This is my son whom I love, and then the imperative, the command, listen to him. And I thought, the sabbatical was about, for me, those three words, listen to him. Mm. And not just for my sabbatical, how I want to live my life in this world. I want to live my life listening to Jesus, mm. listening to his voice, receiving his mm. love. I slow down, I create distance enough, I have silence enough, I have enough presence that I can receive now his love, his direction. And so for me, my hope is that for you, those three words will mark your life. Listen to him. Listen to him. And what does this look like? It varies. Like I said, I am in a very unique situation as a role as a pastor that I have the liberty and the privilege of going on an extended sabbatical like this. The question is, for, for you in this room, what does it look like to go up the mountain? And it looks different for every person. But the question is, what does it look like for you? And let me just say, it's going to look different from time to time, but the key is, are you going up? For some of you, here's what it looks like. You get an hour lunch break. It might mean that for 15 minutes of that time, you don't check on what's happening on social media. That you take time to find a quiet spot and to go up the mountain with God in prayer. For some, it might be, you might not have the space. You might work in jobs where it's just one thing after the other, after the other. You can barely find the time to eat. But maybe at the end of the night, before you go to bed, maybe you spend time in Psalm 31, 5, which says, Lord, unto you I commend my spirit, where Jesus got that verse from. I'm about to go to bed. Uh, to you, Lord, I entrust my spirit. I commend my spirit. And for the, the, these five minutes before I go to bed, I want to now climb up the mountain. For some, it might be finally, you're going to take a Sabbath. That you've been thinking about it, you've been wondering, but now you're going to orient your life in such a way that for 24 hours, or maybe you start with 12 hours, you're going to gear, you're going to stop, you're going to rest, you're going to delight, you're going to contemplate so that you can cultivate this listen to him. And wherever we're at, it looks different. Don't you, compare, don't you dare compare your life to mine. Don't you compare your journey to mine. You're on the journey that God has you. But what's true for me and true for all of us is this. Are you going up the mountain? And then when you get up the mountain, you got to come back down. And when you come down after being up, now you're living with an authority. Now you're living with a presence. 
You're living with the spirit of forgiveness. And by God's grace, may our lives all be deeply formed in that kind of way. May I have three minutes to preach for a minute? <laughs> yeah. Now, Rich is, you know, he's lead pastor at New Life Fellowship. How important it is, how important is it for us as a church yeah. that he listens to God? I mean, how, on a scale of one to ten, that he's getting up the mountain and listening to God. Wouldn't you say it's a ten? Because if he doesn't, the implications are so vast. Now, I think our elder board is mature enough. I think they'd fire him, all right? I, think they would, I don't think they would tolerate it, gifted as he may be. But the most important thing he does is get to God. That's why it's built in. If you're in this level of responsibility over this many people, we've got to structure a life, and we're going to pay you to go to the mountain every seven, eight years to get away and be with Jesus. Now, that's rich, right? Because he's carrying a weight of responsibility. But really, it applies to every one of us in this room because if you don't get to God, everyone around you is going to suffer. <laughs> Do you realize that? Your kids, your friends, your coworkers, your boss, your extended family, because you're out of whack. So whatever it's going to take for you Amen. to get to a mountaintop in a way that's appropriate for you, but our whole role as a church, we got to get you to God. To listen to him, because if you don't, you're dangerous. You're a bad beast, all right? Not, the, not a good beast. And, and, seriously. I mean, so in, in some ways, I really, in some ways, the leadership of New Life Fellowship Church and Rich are modeling for us what we all need to do, which is figure out in the context of our temperament, our personalities, our life situations our present context, what we're carrying responsible. How do I get to God? It was hard for him to go on sabbatical. I mean, it's a tremendous discipline to be able to organize your life, let go. Who's mad at him? Where are you going? Are you taking a vacation here? You know, people misunderstanding it. But to have the discipline to let go. Yeah. When no one else is, how many pastors in the country are doing such a thing? It's almost unheard of. But we know if he doesn't listen to him, we're all in big trouble. But really, I'm, I'm serious, it really applies to you two and to me. Like, what do you need to structure doing your life differently so you're listening to Jesus and not just making plans out of your own mind about what you should do with your life? Amen and amen for that. Amen. Rick, that's good one. That's all right. Peace. Man, I'm fired up listening to The you. beast. <laughs> the beast. All right, let's invite the worship team forward and uh, let's give Rich a hand again. Rich, we're so happy you're back. Thank you so much. Good to be back. Let's stand and let's sing together.
Let's have our prayer team come to my left, have whoever's offering the bread and the cup, uh, Pastor Matt, to come to my right. Uh, some of you might be thinking, I long to go up the mountain. I just don't have the strength, everything coming against me. And this is one of the reasons why we pray for one another, because I believe when we pray for one another, there is a release of God's anointing to empower us, to shape us, to form us that there's something that's deposited in us. And so for some of you, uh, you need strength to go up the mountain, and we want to pray for you. For others, maybe you've had some time in the mountain, and you're now coming down the mountain. And the mountain, uh, at, the, at the foot of the mountain, that might be your job that you have to come back to, your home that is in disorientation at the moment, whatever it might be. God wants to empower you for that return as well. And so wherever you're at today on the journey, we want to pray for you. And to my right, we have the Lord's table where we take bread and we dip it in a cup, reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ loves us with an everlasting love, that he's given himself for us, his entire self for us. And when we take bread and dip it in a cup, we are being present to the presence of God that comes to the bread and the cup. And so whether you come for prayer whether you come to the table as God leads you, come forward. And as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're new to our congregation, this is the sign and the symbol and the posture of the Christian. One who trusts in Jesus. One who is open to his will and way, which is contrasted with the posture of the world, which is one of grasping, manipulation, uh, fear, anxiety. We end our service in this posture to say, Lord, make me malleable in your hands. Make me flexible in your hands. May I receive all that you have for me this day. And so 
with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive and that he is present to us. And may your very life marked by distance and presence and silence and forgiveness may it be a sign and a wonder that brings people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to all.